1: Elizabeth Lesser joins me for today's episode. She is a best selling author and co founder of Omega Institute, the renowned conference and retreat center located in Rhinebeck, New York. Elizabeth's first book, The Seeker's Guide, chronicles her years at Omega and distills lessons learned into a potent guide for growth and healing. Her New York Times best-selling book, Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow, has sold almost 500,000 copies and has been translated into 20 languages. Her newest book, Cassandra Speaks, When Women Are the Storytellers, The Human Story Changes reveals how humanity has outgrown its origin tales and hero myths, and empowers women to trust their instincts, find their voice, and tell new guiding stories.
0: He writes two texts, one called The Theogony and another called The Works and Days, in which he deals with the same myth. And this is the, the creation of the first woman, the Greek equivalent of, of the biblical Eve, if you like. And her name, of course, is Pandora. Seven-eighths of the plays that Euripides wrote about the Trojan War are, um, have women as the type of characters. So he obviously saw that women were the interesting thing in terms of drama for a war. What is it about a powerful woman-led story and wicked women that... Is- us, Cassandra, you will know the future. You will see everything that's going to come and befall the human people, but no one will believe you. Hi, I am Elizabeth Lesser, and my activism is about changing what it means to be a hero. I am tired of the way our culture worships warriors. Sorry, not sorry. So,
1: Elizabeth, let's talk a little bit about
0: storytelling. Why is it so powerful? This is the way humans learn. We've always learned through story. I mean, I often think about the first human sitting around the first fire kind of grunting and pointing and telling stories about, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on here? How did we get here? Where do we go when we die? What do we do in between? The way we learn the best is through telling stories making up stories to explain mysteries, to create power structures, it's all done through stories. I totally,
1: totally agree with you, and I also think storytelling is the greatest tool when we're trying to change narratives. But I do think that throughout history, stories have mainly been told through the eyes of men. Do you agree that's how our
0: stories have generally been told? Well, I certainly do agree, I've written a new book that's all about that. I wrote it because I've led these conferences for years for women. Maybe about 15 years ago, I thought to myself, why do I get so uncomfortable when I put the words women and power together? Women and power. It even makes me uncomfortable. And it certainly makes other people uncomfortable. It makes men really uncomfortable. And I just thought, why is that? I want to gather women together whether they're in the arts or leadership or astronauts or any place where women are in that space and say, what do you think about power? How do you feel about the word? And is there a way to do power differently? And over all those years, I heard from so many great women, but I never got to the bottom of why? Why did we get to this place where we trust ourselves so little, women? Why we're always apologizing and giving space to the more powerful. And how do we get it back? And how did this happen? So I went back into the oldest stories I could find. Bible, pre-Bible, Greeks, Chinese, all the stories. And Alyssa, it's just bizarre and amazing how many of the earliest origin stories are about first to be created, male, second in creation, female but she's the first to sin. And that story Mm. is repeated over and over, whether it's Eve or Pandora or Cassandra or other tales. We were born second, but we sinned first. And Mm. there's a lot to unpack in that idea that women got blamed for a lot of the general problems of being human, and that sticks to us. Stories stick to humans. Stories created only by men are really stories about men. This is the problem with many of our origin tales, heroes' journey myths, and foundational literature. Left out of that canon are the voices and the values and experiences and priorities of women. When women join the storytellers, the human story changes. You might think, I don't read the Bible. I don't even know who Pandora is. What? But it sticks to us. And we're still run by those stories.
1: And I think that also when you look back at how women have throughout history, for as long as there is time, been basically property of men, and you think about how we are today— And how those stories have evolved, you know, like I just learned recently that rape was always almost justified if it was someone who owned their woman, whether that be through marriage, whether that is the enslaved. And so throughout history, I don't think there's ever a time that we can look back to where true feminism has ever been even within our reach, any country. I think it's something that we strive for. I think it's something that we understand the intersectionality of and how really vital it is. But I don't think you can go back to a a time where we were empowered. So my question to you is, what changes when women
0: become the storytellers? We're seeing right now how hard it is to change narratives. and. Yeah how much effort and disruption it takes. I mean, we're seeing it with white supremacy now. That story is being exploded in front of our eyes so that we can change it. You can't change something that you don't see. You know, if it's sort of hidden and wallpapered over in a culture, oh, women, you've made a lot of progress. What are you talking about? If you don't really like bring out the storyline all the way back to the beginning, it's hard to change it and it's very disruptive. And the best way to change a story is for the people who have not been protagonists to claim their space. But that's easier said than done. If part of what the stories have said is you don't deserve the space, there's something inherently wrong with you, woman, you're too emotional, you're not rational enough, your values are kind of soft and They're not that important. Cassandra's curse is an ancient example of gaslighting, and it's relived on a daily basis by women around the world. We know the truth of our own experiences and the validity of our values, yet we're told we're overreacting, that our emotions cloud our vision that we tend toward hysteria, that we feel too much, talk too much, are too much. And so we begin to doubt ourselves. The first step in removing Cassandra's curse is to believe what we know and to stand up for it and each other at home, at work, in the world. Your validity, your sense of yourself as a valid storyteller gets eroded, especially some of the old stories.
1: Let's talk about some of those. Let's start with Eve. If we look at the story as it's told, Eve broke the rules and got humanity kicked out of paradise and visited labor pains on women. I mean, what would she have to say about all of this?
0: Well, when Eve was a person, let's pretend it's not just a story, okay? It's a story, first of all. And also, it's a story that a man wrote. These stories did not just fall out of the sky in one whole piece. Some people think they did. So sorry, not sorry to you. (laughs) But I don't think they did. I think they came out of... A person's head. He told it to a group of guys and then they retold it and then finally they got written. And these are stories told for all sorts of reasons. And the story of Eve in the garden is an origin story. And most of those origin stories are about how did we get here? It's So scary and mysterious to be a human being on mm. this planet. Mm. How did we get here? How does evil happen? Why does it happen? And how do we live together? And what should the rules be? So the story of Adam and Eve is we got here, you know, God put man in the garden. He was all alone. It was perfect. It was a perfect garden. There was no trouble whatsoever. But he was kind of lonely and he needed a helpmate. That's the story of God and Adam. God said, I'll make you a helpmate. And so Eve was created out of Adam And everything was cool. And then a snake came around. Now, in the days of Adam and Eve, snakes were actually revered as wisdom holders. You can see it in all sorts of iconography throughout history. The snake was revered. The snake came to Eve, who was a very curious person. Now, in the realm of men, curiosity is a good thing. It's what drives us to invent things, to make things better. But in women, curiosity is a problem. She's going to figure some things out and get some power. So we don't like this. So the story goes, Eve went and followed the snake. And the snake said, hey, eat this delicious fruit. Not only it delicious, it'll make you wise. And Eve said, but God said we would die if we ate it. And the snake said, no, you won't die. The part of you who is no longer wise and childlike, that part will die, but you will go on a hero's journey like all the men in the Bible go on all of them, they all have a problem, they break the rules, and then they go on a journey and they grow wise. Eve is the only major player in the Bible who gets punished for being curious and choosing wisdom and wanting to grow. So I look at Eve as the first grown-up. She was the first one to say, I'm going to make my own decision and I'm going to learn and grow. I think that's how Eve would tell the story. Do you think Eve was a feminist? I don't think she had to be, but she did because God and Adam didn't really want to give her much power. So, yes, Eve was our first feminist.
1: And then there's Pandora, right? And I'd love to hear her story from her own point of view. Where do you think that that goes?
0: Pandora was also the first mortal woman in Greek mythology. She was given as a punishment to mankind the gift from the gods was Pandora as a punishment because they had stolen fire from the gods. So she came down and she was given the admonition. Here is a jar. It wasn't a box, but we'll call it a box because we talk about Pandora's box. Here's a box. Everything evil, all the spirits, all the good spirits and the bad spirits are in this box. Don't get curious. Don't open it. A lot like the Adam and Eve story. Well, of course, she gets curious because she's a human, and humans are curious. She opens it. All the spirits go out, all the evil, sickness, death, everything about human life that's difficult, but she slams it shut before one last spirit leaves, and that's Elpis, the spirit of hope. She leaves hope in the jar so that humans can deal with all the difficulty because hope is such an empowering feeling. And I think she would tell it the way many anthropologists and people who have dug up these shards and seen different ways of telling that story on vases. They tell it as she didn't open the box. She found the box opened and she shut it just in time to keep hope in it. So I think she would tell her story as life is hard. It's always been hard. No one promised it would be anything else, but I am giving you hope. I am giving you optimism that we can get through this. I love that.
1: Of course, there's Cassandra, who is the titular focus of your book, Cassandra Speaks. What feels so authentic about this is that when she spoke the truth, nobody believed her. Tell us how that's relevant today and how she's relevant today.
0: Well, she was first given a gift of clairvoyance, of seeing into the future by the god Apollo. He was after her. She was really beautiful. And all the gods and humans wanted to marry her. And she went with Apollo because he said, I'll give you the gift of clairvoyance, of seeing into the future. But when she rejected his sexual advances, he spit in her mouth, as the story goes, a curse. Yeah, you can be clairvoyant, but since you rejected me, no one will ever believe you. So she went through her tortured life predicting Everything that was going to happen to her people, all the wars, the sacking of the city of Troy, the death of her parents and brothers, she saw it all. And she'd say, this violence, this warrior mentality, it's going to kill us all. Stop. Mm. And they would all say, you're crazy, you're emotional, you're overwrought. No one believed her. Eventually, she went mad. And the last scene of her story is the city of Troy is burning, and she's found clinging in a goddess center to a statue, and she's found by a soldier and raped. And that's the end of Cassandra. When I was watching the trial of Dr. Larry Nasser, mm-hmm. you remember the one who oh, abused yes. all the, the, the gymnasts? gymnasts? And I heard them speaking their truth, and they had this wonderful judge, Judge Aquilina, and she kept saying to the girls and the women, you speak, and I'm going to listen. And I'm going to be the first adult who ever really listened to you. And I'm going to believe you. And I'm going to take you seriously. And I'm going to make that man sitting in the corner listen to you and take you seriously. And I felt they are all Cassandras speaking, all these young girls who spoke for years to their parents and their officials. This is happening to me. It's real. It's happening. No one believed them. And oh my goodness, we have seen over the past few years so many Cassandras, so many like you, like Tarana Burke, like all the Cassandras speaking now and saying, this happened. And guess what? It's going to keep happening unless we do something. Stop gaslighting us. Stop making us feel we're crazy. This is true and real. And I feel it's not just our personal stories we see something that's going on in the world, we feel it. Humanity has come to the end of a long, unbalanced era, one that started thousands of years ago, one that has been both creative and destructive, but one that has run its course and is running away with our future. Women know something that the world needs now. We know it in our bones. It's time for us to transcend the stories of the past that paint women as second in creation and first to sin and to tell new, bold, beautiful tales of love and longing for a better world. The part of women that can feel into other people's realities, the pain of the earth, the reality of what humans are doing to each other We have a gift of seeing it and feeling it. And we have to get strong enough to tell it.
1: I could not agree more. And when we use myths and stories to tell our story and move our culture forward, it's pretty miraculous. But I think about what impact removing the point of view of women from our storytelling has had on
0: humanity. What do you think about that? Well, I remember when I was so excited that Wonder Woman, the film, was going to come out. Yeah. Like, yay, yay. I'm happy whenever a woman is a protagonist and a woman is a director and a writer. But I was also kind of disappointed because it's not just the storytellers and the protagonists that I long to see change. Mm -hmm. It's the storyline that, like, the way we change the ills of the world is by kicking ass while looking hot. I know people might feel, oh, come on, lighten up, enjoy a good old film. But I always feel like we've missed an opportunity yeah. where we don't tinker with the storyline, that there are other ways to push the dial of change than violence and blow them up and car chases. I think it's so brave and courageous. Like, what if Wonder Woman just got everybody off the World War I battlefield and said, okay, sit down with me. I'm going to feed you delicious food. And I'm going to teach us all how to talk to each other, how to listen, how to share resources. We don't have to do this through war and battle. That might sound boring to people. I am interested in making love muscular and talking cool. I'm interested in it being super cool and not seen as some kind of like Pollyanna thing.
1: Right. Where we are looked upon as less than if that's how we feel. But I think that that's what living in this male dominated point of view has done to even our female storytelling. I also think that feminism requires like this radical reconstruction of society. And until that happens, I don't know that storytelling changes. I don't know if point of views change. I mean, are there cultures which tell their stories from a female-centric point of view? And
0: if so, how are they different? Well, you have to go way back into prehistory. And a lot of that then becomes surmising what happened. And there are a lot of anthropologists who say there were female-centric societies led by women goddesses. You know, when you go into the caves in southern France, I've done that. And the pictures on the wall are fertility goddesses, women with large breasts and big bellies. And it seems that that indicates they were worshipped. But ever since written history, which is what we call history, and there was millions of years before that, it's been the men who are the storytellers. And it's the dominant value system has been one of aggression. And violence and war. So historically, maybe there was a time. it doesn't matter to me anymore. If the Earth is going to be saved, and if culture is going to change, I believe women are going to have a primary place in changing the storyline. And I really do think it's up to us. and it's a catch-22. Can we change the stories before the culture changes, or does changing the stories change the culture?
1: Well, I think if you're looking at something like movements, we are changing the culture of sexual misconduct, assault, and harassment first before we are actually changing anything in policy, even. We are controlling our own narratives slightly more, but I still think that we are telling the narratives or explaining our stories knowing that we're telling them to a male dominated society and that there does have to be a little consideration for that because I do think in a lot of ways we've got to enlist men into this fight and have them as well.
0: Both women and men have to want to change if we want to change the story, especially the story about who raises the children, who cares for the home, for the aging parents, for the emotional well-being of the community. Men in this century are going to have to want to change as much as women wanted to change in the last century. They will need to see that change not as a duty, but as a benefit that will bring good things to their lives and to all of life. We can't just be
1: telling these stories to each other. I mean, we can, but I don't know that that gets done until we're not in a male-dominated society.
0: Well, there's going to be, as usual, so many streams of the fight and the creativity coming from all different directions. I have a particular slant on it, but I know it's just one slant. I mean, the intersectionality right now is so exciting and so necessary. So I'm aware that I'm one kind of woman with one kind of history. And the thing you say about men is so important. And I see a lot of hopeful change in men. I especially see it in younger men. I see it in fatherhood, the Mm. way Fathers are changing and becoming full fledged parents and not just babysitters who help mom every now and then. Right, exactly. And then want a cookie for it. (laughs) I I have three sons, and each one of them is as involved in their kids' lives as their wives. And it's incredibly moving and exciting to me because Gloria Steinem always said equality starts in the home. And I agree. It starts with not just women becoming stronger and more aggressive and taking power, it starts with men also getting in touch with their softer side and being proud of it, about little girls being called a tomboy, feeling proud, but a little boy being called a sissy, feeling proud too. Girls feel a sense of pride if they're called tomboys. Women feel accomplished when they join the ranks of male endeavors? Can boys be raised to feel pride when they exhibit qualities considered feminine? And if not, why not? Why is a tomboy exalted, but a sissy is a source of shame? What does this say about our culture's deepest feelings about women?
1: I think the thing that we have to get away from is that equality does not mean the same. It means comparable.
0: Yes. And diversity is life. So it's what's so important to me in the world of gender now is that there are many ways to be a man, many ways to be a woman. And until we honor and love all humans in all their diversity, we won't be as strong. I mean, in nature, the more diverse an ecosystem, the stronger it is. It's the same thing in our human communities. When I dream of a better world, I dream of men fearlessly reclaiming words and traits that have been coded feminine, feelings, empathy, communication. I dream of women, Reclaiming traits that have been coded masculine, ambition, confidence, authority. But what I dream of most is women and men mixing it up, blending it all together, tempering power with wisdom, giving muscle and prestige to love and nurture.
1: I'm interested in this philosophy where it seems as though, and maybe it's not a philosophy, but this phenomenon that it seems as though our greatest activists are those who are women fighting against oppression of all kind. And that intersectionality of what exactly that means Not only for cultural or gender or race, but also just in a humanity sense of what are the stories we are going to tell. Because if you think about it, studies of women, when that started, and you would know better than I would what year that was when true women's studies started, there weren't even books for teachers to teach about women's studies. Which is crazy to me, which means to me that we are still really learning how to tell our own stories, but also like there's no vocabulary for any of it yet. Because if we're just teaching feminist studies in the last 50 or 60 years, then we're just discovering what those words are.
0: And words are so important.
1: They are, but there's no perfect language, right? Because words for every person has baggage with them. Like there are certain words that mean different things to me, even though there's a definition because of experience, because of even morality, I think words shift. And so to expect everyone to have the same meaning in our dialogue and the way we talk, I think excludes a lot of personal reflection. And I wonder what you think we can do to change the way we tell our stories to make them more
0: inclusive. Well, I have had sort of a dual life in my career. My first job, I was a midwife. Which is the coolest thing ever. (laughs) And in that job, I fell in love with the female body so that the structures around what you consider to be beauty and function In the female form, I just couldn't abide by them because I watched women doing the most brave and amazing stuff. And definitely to be a young person in the midwifery sphere definitely changed the way I looked at my own body and other women's bodies. In a good way? In a fabulous way. Yeah. In a controversial way and a way that didn't fit with the prevailing culture, and still Mm. doesn't. I mean, in the book, I tell the story of Galilea, the statue that Pygmalion made out of ivory to worship because he thought all other women were tainted. And I feel we are still under the spell of Galatea. We all are still trying to have this thin, white, narrow, constrained body. And Being a midwife made me know uh, the hundreds of women I saw, that's just not what women's bodies look like or are made for. So, yes.
1: I remember just this revelation after I gave birth to Milo and I was breastfeeding and being cuddly with him and this feeling of like, oh, women's bodies are supposed to be soft so that our babies feel safe. And I can't tell you how many times a day I have to remind myself to soften my belly because I am so used to making it hard and sucking it in for pictures and to squeeze it into pants. And I literally have to remind myself, just say, you know what? Soften your belly. It's okay. You
0: and me and every single woman on the planet affected by Western culture, not just Western culture. I mean, Chinese culture has a long history of binding women's feet and expecting women to be tottering, helpless little creatures. So Every culture, or most cultures, have narrowed the scope of what a woman's body should be. So you asked me, how do we change the storytelling so that it's more inclusive of all people and of women's authenticity? I think we're hitting on it now that we tighten ourselves. Every day we tighten our bodies, we tighten our hearts, don't feel so much, don't grieve so much. Don't feel so much. Don't talk so much. You talk too much, women.
1: Don't be too ambitious. You're too much. You're too much, too ambitious, but you don't smile enough. Yeah.
0: As a young woman, I thought it was part of my job description to be nice, agreeable, likable, all the time. I feared that if I voiced my opinions too often, people may not like me. I could hear ancient warnings being whispered in my ear. Look what happened to Eve. Remember, Cassandra, don't be like them. Stay small. Be quiet. Be nice. To me, authentic storytelling and storytelling that will change the world comes from first and foremost, not the only thing, but first or maybe simultaneous, Un tightening ourselves Mm -hmm. and feeling fucking great about being who we are, our bellies, our thighs, our voices, our hearts, our values, what we think is right and necessary. Every day working on untightening and validating and walking into a meeting at work and instead of crossing our legs and wearing our per- little things and our shoes and not talking as much, and, oh, I talk too much today. I'm going to talk less tomorrow. I'm going to be nicer. Right. I'll smile more. Instead of doing that, not becoming a slob or mean or mansplaining, but just feeling more at home in who we really are.
1: I think that that also goes to... We don't have a lot of women in powerful positions to emulate, so we are really creating and identifying what a powerful woman looks like, how she walks, how she talks, because I think for so often— We were made to feel that we had to play the game. We had to be like one of the guys to succeed. So the way in which we lead or the way in which we are CEOs, instead of coming from that place of equality in the sense of sameness, we are coming to it from a place of like, well, I have to be like that dude. Because the only way for me to get ahead is to be like that man. Because we don't have the women that lead from a place of service, of softness, of love to look up to, really. So we're defining it.
0: Why I said, yes, I loved Wonder Woman. But I look forward to the day when she's portrayed by a brown, round, kind, sloppy woman who teaches other ways of solving humans' problems. As women lay claim to power, we must keep asking these questions. Power for what purpose? Influence? Why? Promotion? Money? Leadership? To what end? What are we going to use our power for? No one, woman or man, is immune to being corrupted by power. Greed and egocentricity are genderless. But women have an advantage as power outsiders for most of recorded history. Let's not just get a foot in the old door. Let's do power differently everywhere we lead. I want to see that movie. I want to read that book. I mean, I remember the first time I saw Dr. Maya Angelou. Because I've led so many conferences, I've met so many people. I've always been on the lookout. Who is that woman you're talking about? Where is she? First time I met her, I was knocked over. First of all, she was six feet tall, and she was wearing this unbelievable African robe. And she walked across the hotel Mm. floor in New York City like a freaking queen. And she was both powerful and slightly scary. And so generous, so in her heart, all of it. I was like, yeah, I want to see more of that.
1: Yeah, that is beautiful. So in a thousand years, who do you think will be the Cassandras of today? How will future generations tell the stories of what we're living through right now
0: in our present? Well, we're talking to each other in the time of Black Lives Matter, COVID, this election coming up, climate change. I'm sitting right now and I'm looking outside my home window where there's a hurricane and I think the Cassandras in a hundred years, when we look back, will be the young climate change activists. Mm -hmm. They will be the young women of all colors who are not just saying, hey, give me a piece of that power pie. But no, this is the way power looks. We're going to do power differently here. And change the world. And change the world. Yeah. And men. The men who are brave enough to be vulnerable and ask for directions and admit when they're wrong and say sorry, just sorry. And there's many men who are doing that. There are there are many men who aren't, and there are many women who aren't. And yes. there are places in the world right now that are so backwards and behind. And we are so fortunate even to be able to have the authority that we do. I feel Mm -hmm. such a sense of responsibility since I have so much to give even more.
1: Your book focuses in a bit on the corrupting influences of power. And if storytelling is power, how do we keep stories from being corrupted or being used to corrupt?
0: Thank you for that question. I've spent a lot of time studying the work of Jung, Jungian psychology, Mm -hmm. And most, I would say, of the work he did with his patients, his clients, was called shadow work, which is, okay, you feel yourself blaming someone else. Let's say in a marriage or your boss. You know, it's all his fault. It's all her fault. Shadow work asks you to say, okay, yeah, but what about yourself? How are you contributing to this story? How are you actually In your attempt to get power, becoming the very monsters of power you wanted to overcome. Beware, Mm. beware, look within. Power, it's been so abused that it feels like a dirty word. But power doesn't have to come at the expense of others. It doesn't have to oppress in order to express. There's a way to reveal your shining self. Without diminishing the light of another, there's a way to do power differently than the way we have come to define it. Make sure that, as Michelle Obama always said, when they go low, you go high. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be saints. And women, we're so used to taking the responsibility and yeah. making it our own fault. So it's a tricky line because... We need to be strong and claim what's ours. But at the same time, we want to try to do it differently. Take responsibility when we're part of the problem. Admit it. Speak kindly yet strongly and not fall into the same traps of power corruption. Always ask, power for what reason? Why do I want this? For what reason? Awesome. And
1: finally... What gives you hope? Will the stories of our future be better, more
0: fair? I look at it this way. There's a chance that great mother earth will say, enough of you, enough of you people, out with you. But if she doesn't, and if we manage to live more lightly on the earth, I believe we will learn from these times. Us humans, all of us learn from catastrophe, learn from trauma. That's the way we learn you know oh i didn't I didn't know who I was until I had my cancer uh, I didn't know how to love until my first marriage fell apart. like we learn from catastrophe. We're in one now. I am an optimist. I think we'll learn. I think evolution is purposeful, and we're always moving toward something better. I believe that I might believe it because it's more fun to believe that, but whatever, that's how I live. <laughs>
1: I like it. That's how I live, too. And I agree with you, and I adore you, Elizabeth Lesser, and your book is Cassandra Speaks. Thank you so much for all you do, all you are, and for being a part of the podcast.
0: Do you think they did it alone? Constructed armies and conquered thrones. Created promised lands that would outlast the sun. Resurrected kingdoms from ash and bone. A family crest is not just a man-made thing. It is also created by generations of women who wield swords through guile and letters. Show me your gods and your kings, and I will show you the goddesses and the queens that taught them, that bred them, that willed them to be better.
1: When women are erased from our stories, We lose our power in life. I am always shocked at the religious use of Eve to cast blame on women for ills of society and the dominance of man over women in some religions. What a load of shit. Stories, myths, histories are things of power. They form the foundations of the cultures and beliefs we build. And when men write the stories, men hold the power. It's why Cassandra Speaks is so powerful. It's why books like Madeline Miller's brilliant Cirque help us break the chain. It's why books like Madeline Miller's brilliant Cirque help us break the chains of our old stories and build a stronger, more equal foundation. I have a challenge for everyone listening, but especially to the men. Look at your bookshelf. Think of your ten favorite writers. If women do not make up half of the authors represented in either place, you've got some work to do. Seek out the stories women tell. Find a new mythology. You won't only be rewarded with some great writing, but your foundations will be rewarded. You'll expand your view of the world, find new ways to approach thinking, and be a better human just from reading books that you've overlooked. It's a win-win and such an important and easy thing to do. Go read a book and change the world. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our associate producer is Ben Jackson. Editing and engineering by Natasha Jacobs and music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Buliari. That's my boy please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry.